Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich. Light and Life Meditations on the Gospel and Epistles of John. By James Boyd. 15. John Chapter 15. The words recorded in chapters 13 and 14 were spoken inside the upper room at the Passover table, and what we have in the three following chapters were uttered on their way to Gethsemane. In chapter 15 the subjects are fruit-bearing and testimony. I think the fruit brought forth by all who are in vital relations with Christ is the testimony. The fruit is for God, the testimony for men. There were bells and pomegranates on the borders of the high priest's robe. The testimony may have a more direct reference to the ministry of the word by his servants, and in a special way to the word by the twelve apostles, for he says, Ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. Nevertheless, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. Also, the sons of God, without rebuke. In the midst of crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, Philippians chapter 2 verse 15. Indeed the whole church is here on earth as a witness to Christ during his absence. Though the bearing of fruit is for the glory of the Father, still it results in testimony to Christ. I should not like to think that one must necessarily be a preacher in order to be Christ's witness here. The parable of the vine and its branches, though simple enough to the one taught of God, has been the cause of a good deal of contention among Christians. It is even brought forward to prove that a child of God may be lost forever. This would be so at variance with the plainest teaching of Scripture that one wonders to find anyone clinging to such a notion. And to lay hold of a parable like this to support the error does nothing but reveal the self-will that lies at the foundation of it. Though it is absolutely necessary to be in vital relations with Christ to bring forth fruit, yet the figure used takes in as branches all who profess faith in Christ. The branch that bears fruit is, in me, and so also is the branch that bears, not fruit. Both are in the vine, the one as truly as the other, and yet one may bear fruit and the other not. There are two ways in which Christians are viewed in Scripture, one in vital and eternal relationships to God the Father and to Christ. They are in those relationships solely by the sovereign operation of the Holy Spirit, and they are unalterable. Believers are begotten of God, his children, and members of the body of Christ. The terms used, begotten of God, and members of the body of Christ, show how completely of God they are. The other way in which we are addressed in Scripture is as believers of the Gospel, or those who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, and this gives us a position of responsibility upon earth. Saints are addressed in the epistles as in the blessings of the Gospel, and they are so if their faith is of a vital character, and the whole profession is addressed as saints, along with warnings against turning away from Christ. So here in Christ may, or may not, be vital relationship. This is manifested by abiding in him, which has a practical bearing, and means that such draw all their nourishment from himself, and thus bring forth fruit to the glory of the Father. There is an analogy between this and, holding the head, in the epistle to the Colossians, that is, that we draw all our nourishment and strength from him. The fountain of supply is abundant, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. The vine is the source of supply for the branches, as the head is for the body. John speaks of abiding in him, Paul of holding the head. All this is brought about and maintained by the anointing that we have received of him, that is, the Holy Spirit. This unction, or anointing, abides in the children of God, and no other teaching is needed than that which he may furnish directly through the word, or by teachers raised up by himself to turn their attention to that word, and to help them into the understanding of it. The anointing teaches them all things, is true and not a lie, and as it has taught them they abide in him. Now he that says that he abides in him ought to walk as he walked. And we know that we abide in him and he in us by the spirit which he has given us, 1 John chapter 2 verses 27, 6, 4, 13. 
Now in this chapter 15 we read, He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, and in the epistle 324, He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and the preservative from every newfangled notion is found in 1 John chapter 2 verse 24, Let that therefore which ye have heard from the beginning abide in you. If that which ye shall have heard from the beginning abide in you, ye also shall abide in the Son and in the Father. Everything for life, preservation and service depends upon the nourishment we derive from our exalted head. He says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. What a comfort this is to those of us who feel what poor weak things we are. In view of his impending departure to the Father, he would bind them together with the cords of divine love. He says to them, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, continue in my love. Here it is in his love we are to abide. It is not only that we who have no resources in ourselves are to cling to him in whom all fullness dwells, but we are to abide in the deep realization of the love that he has to us. And the way in which we are to do this is by walking in obedience. He says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. If we walk in disobedience we have a condemning heart. And the Holy Spirit is grieved, and therefore are we occupied with our own failures and not the love of Christ. But if we walk in obedience, intimacy with him is maintained, and our confidence in him remains unbroken. An obedient child walks in happy intimacy with his father and in the enjoyment of the love that belongs to the relationship of a son with a father, while a child walking in disobedience, though not without the knowledge of his father's affection for him, is not in the enjoyment of that intimacy that is the privilege of every obedient child with a benevolent parent. He was leaving them. They were now to be bereft of the solace that his presence in their midst gave them. He would send the Holy Spirit to take care of them. But they were to see to it that they were to show that real interest in the welfare of one another that belonged to the divine nature, of which they were partakers. They were to love one another as he had loved them. How had he loved them? He had laid down his life for them. This was the way in which this love became manifested. It was a self-sacrificing love. It was not a mere human affection, though it was now to be found in human beings. The love wherewith the Father loved the Son was the love wherewith the Son loved the disciples, and it was that same love that was to be active in him toward one another. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another, 1 John chapter 3 verse 16. As we meditate upon this, what horror fills our souls in the contemplation of the deplorable condition in which saints are found today. We see the vast majority mixed up religiously with those who make no secret of their hatred of the Father and the Son. Then we have many who in a large degree of light have entered into the results of the labors of men of God long since passed into his presence, and what of them? Split up into little sections, not one of them being able to give a sufficient reason for his willful separation from the others, and most of them, instead of being ashamed of their miserable sectarianism, as boastful of it as though they had letters patent from heaven as warrant for their wretched position. How truly, even to this day, are being fulfilled the words of the great Gentile apostle, spoken in the ears of the Ephesian elders as he was for the last time passing out of their midst. Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse, perverted, things, to draw away disciples after them, Acts chapter 20 verse 30. The allowance of the flesh ever tends to disintegration, and that because, in the first instance, in its very nature it is antagonistic to God. It will not acknowledge his authority, and it disregards his right to legislate for the guidance of his creature's well-being. In the second instance, though it may outwardly own that God has spoken, and that his word is entitled to a certain measure of respect, yet it cannot be taken just as we find it. 
but as it is explained by those who have graduated in the skeptical universities of the world, or by some who are supposed to be possessed of a certain amount of spirituality not possessed by ordinary believers. If you hearken to the words of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle John, who tells you to abide in that which ye have heard from the beginning, you are pitied as being behind the times, and as being so unspiritual as to be unable to appreciate advanced thought. Where the flesh is allowed a loose rein one may be prepared to witness a display of the most outrageous spiritual insanity, and that even among true believers. Think of the loose morals of the sectarian Corinthians glorying in bestiality that was unknown among the idolatrous Gentiles. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Think also of the downfall of the bewitched Galatians, and how near they came to apostasy from Christ, and let us all take warning. The flesh can make the most trivial questions a righteous ground of separation, if it is allowed its own way amongst a company of the most godly of God's beloved people. Let divine love assert itself as the bond and ruling principle among us, and all shall be well. But let it be true divine love, not mere human sentiment like that which binds sects, clubs, clans and schools of opinion together, for in these things truth and righteousness have to give place to the creeds, and to the influence of the worldly-minded, and God and the word of his grace are disregarded. The love that is enjoined in this chapter, John chapter 15, is the love wherewith the Father ever loved the Son, and wherewith the Son loved his disciples, with this love they are to love one another.